Chapter 3, if you will. Thank you, Spencer. Beloved, as, uh, as we talked about before, it's uh, a precious thing to note that that's the eighth... That's, that's, uh, in these two letters, the Apostle Peter uses that, that term to refer to us no less than eight times. Beloved. Beloved. And man, everything that flows from there flows from there. That we're loved of God. Hallelujah for that. So let's start in 2 Peter chapter 3. If you're physically able, will you stand with us as we read from God's precious Word? Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of a reminder. You may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water, and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. And the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found with Him, by Him in peace, without spot and blameless, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. As also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the Scriptures. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. That's the word of the living God. You may be seated. Thank you for standing with me. We've been looking at and using a working outline um, here in the last part of this letter. And I sure have enjoyed going through these two letters. These are two of my favorite books of the Bible, First and Second Peter. And as you recall, in, in, the, in, the, in the general sense, First Peter is about the attacks that are mounted against the church from without. And Second Peter in general terms, is about the anticipated attacks that are mounted against the church from within. And we're so grateful, so grateful that we have a promise from God 
that says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We as a church are not on the defensive up in the corner somewhere trying to resist the onslaught of hell. The picture is that hell is painted into a corner and is trying to resist the onslaught of the church. We're not on the defensive. We're on the offensive. Praise God. Hallelujah. Let's get our thinking recalibrated. It might look like sometimes we're in a, on the defeated team. It might look dismal. It might look bleak. But everything that I see from heaven regarding God's elect is nothing but good news. Nothing but good news. Hallelujah. 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 And so we've been looking at this working outline and we've been using it from a threefold uh, outline. There's a definite day which leads to a diligent walk and we have a delightful expectation. There's a definite day. God has fixed a day. This day, the day of the Lord, is judgment that will climax with the return of Christ to the earth. That is going to happen. And the Apostle, Paul, Apostle Peter says in this letter, that everybody knows it. Everybody knows it. Even the false teachers. But what they do is they take what they know and they willfully forget it. It always goes back to Romans chapter 1, verse 18. And that is this. That what we know about God, we suppress that knowledge because it gets in the way of us enjoying our sinful lifestyle. So it's the suppression of truth in unrighteousness. So everything that we know about God through conscience... There's a right, there's a wrong, there's a law, there's a lawgiver, and judgment's coming. With everything that we know about God in creation, we suppress and push down. Just like, just like you do, like we talked about, when you go to um, Chuck E. Cheese and the little things, the little gophers, stick up their heads and you take that little mallet, wham, 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 and you try to hit them, press those little mallet, those little gopher heads down. That's exactly what the world's doing. It's going out of its way in a frenzy fit of terror trying to suppress what they already know to be true about God. They already know that to be true about Him. So there is coming a definite day. That is a day of dread for the unrepaired, unprepared, but dear ones, it's a day of delight for the repentant. Hallelujah. It is the culmination of the redemptive work of God to one day make us and bring us into His very presence. To live and serve with Him forever. Out of the presence of sin. That's the hope of the believer. That's a sure hope that we hang all our hopes on. And that motivates holy living. And yes, it brings great joy. It is a delightful expectation. The diligent walk. He said, it begs the question. The text begs the question. He said, if this is going to happen, and everything that we see, just like Phil prayed just then, that everything that we see around us is going to be judged by fire, and it is going to burn up. It's going to go... There's going to be a giant uncreation of creation. And it's all going to go away. And it is foolish. It is foolish to build your life on what you stand to only lose. It is, Jim Elliot, to coin the phrase, and you've heard it before, He is no fool who gives up what He cannot keep in exchange for what He cannot lose. That's true. That's true. So the diligent walk. And He says in light of that, that this is going to happen, what kind of people should we be? And the answer is this. Cavalier people, calloused people, 
People who go get up in a hole somewhere and, and get up in a nook and cranny and just hold out until it happens. No. People who are holy in their conduct and their godliness. That hope leads to holy living. A proper understanding of the gospel and the grace of God is never a license to sin, but it's an incentive to holy living because we know He's coming back. We have a delightful expectation. Let's look at it. And that's where we picked up from last week. Look what it says. We're looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. We're not going to make it happen sooner. We're hastening in the sense of expectation that we're looking for it. We wake up every day in the reality and the glory of His imminent return because of which the heavens will be dissolved being on fire and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Listen to this in verse 13. Nevertheless, we according to His promise look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That word new is an interesting word. That word new does not mean chronology. It doesn't mean that we've got a a current earth and we're going to move on with this one to to something later on that will be similar to what we have. When it says new there, it means new not only to replace the old, but it means new in quality. Quality. That the very essence of this new heaven and earth is going to be completely different than what we know now because it's going to be void of the contagion of sin. Think about it. Every time you look around and see any kind of corruption or decay, anything, rot, look in the mirror and see the age and lines that come on our face and, and the fact that we can't get up as quickly as we used to could and things like that. Every bit of that can be traced back to sin. Every bit of it. And yet, God's going to do away with this. He's not going to reform it. He's not going to make it better. He's going to replace it. He's going to replace it with a new heaven and a new earth. And look what it says. A place in which righteousness dwells. A place where righteousness dwells. That word dwell means to settle down, to be at home, and to take up permanent residence. Dwell. We're going to be a part of a kingdom in which there is no sin. None. In justification, God the Son, through His substitutionary atoning death on the cross, delivered us from the penalty of sin. In sanctification, whereby God through the indwelling presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, is daily transforming us into Christ's likeness. He is delivering us from the power of sin. And there's coming a day when God the Father in future glory is going to deliver us from the presence of sin. Oh, can God be any better to us? He's delivered us from the penalty through the atoning death of His Son. Now, in the Christian walk, as we walk and are being conformed to the image of God's Son, He's delivering us from the power that sin wields over us. And we have the future hope and promise that one day we're going to be delivered 
from the presence of sin. Oh dear ones, could you imagine? We're going to be able to serve God in perfection throughout all eternity, forever. We will serve God in a holy walk that's identical to the Lord's service to Him when He came to earth. This is the voice of heaven that says, for those who repent and put faith in my Son, in you, because of Him, I'm well pleased. I'm well pleased. I'm well pleased because I see you in Him. And do you know why I see you in Him? I see you in Him because you are in Him. And everything that I say about Him because of Him in you is now true about you. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! And there will come a day when we'll have a glorified body. This isn't just for Aunt Mert who's close to death. This isn't just for Grandma and all those people who have gray hair. This is for us. This is not about the sweet by and by only. This is about victory in the nasty now and now. That we have the hope that we're going to receive a glorified body. And it will not be subject to corruption, decay. And it will be exactly like the glorified body of Christ. And who made that promise to me? Who made that promise to me? This is everything. This is the crux of the issue. Who made that promise to me? My daddy promised that so. My daddy said that so. That's what makes that promise meaningful and come alive. That's what motivates me. It's because Abba, Father, said that to me. And Abba, Father, said that to you. I want to tell you something. I, I, I love being called husband. I, I didn't get married until I was 34 years old. And God was just gracious to me to send me a wonderful wife. And out of pity, she married me. But nonetheless, it's okay. We got married anyway. And now, I love the, I love the titles and things she calls me. Most of the time. But I want you to know that one of the favorite things I'll ever hear is one of my children picks up the phone. It says, Daddy. I love that. And you, you, you who are fathers, you know exactly what I'm saying. I love it. Daddy. I don't, I don't want to be called father. I'd be called daddy. I like that. Father's okay, but daddy's better. And I want you to know, nevertheless, we, who are we? The children of God. According to whose promise? Father made that promise to me. And if the Father promises something to you, it's as good as done. Now I'm not going to get into all this, but I'm just going to say enough of this to say this. When I was coming up, I had a distant father. And I'm not complaining, but I did. And until he got cancer, God gave him cancer. It was the greatest gift that God has ever given my family was giving my dad cancer. Because he didn't die suddenly. If he had died suddenly, I wouldn't have any confidences in heaven. But God gave me 27 months with cancer. And he got straight with his business with Jesus. And I preached his funeral. And it was one of the greatest spiritual blessings of my life to preach my dad's funeral. And 
he got he got right with the Lord. But he was distant at best. Some of you have different testimonies of maybe a father that's not even there. Or maybe a father who is there and he's doing everything he can. But I want you to know something. Here's what the Lord spoke to me. I'm telling you. Dad and I got our business straight. I'm so grateful. And the last thing I did was kiss him on his head and say, I love you. It's the last time I ever said anything to him. I love you. And he said, I love you too, son. And I thank God for that memory. Maybe you won't have that memory. Maybe you won't have that memory. But here's what God spoke to me about that. He said, son, I know you're frame. And I know you're made because I made you. And if you had a father that hit well on all pistons, you wouldn't appreciate or need me near as much as you need me. See, the deficiencies in my earthly father and we're all deficient. Give rise to praise in the sufficiency that I am finding in my Heavenly Father. The Bible gives the right to God's own to call Him Daddy. That is not irreverent. That is not callous. It is not reckless. It is biblical. Abba, Father. That's where the promise comes from. It comes from my daddy. And I'm telling you, my dad doesn't lie. He doesn't lie. I'm going to tell you something. Everybody knows him as creator, but not everybody knows him as father. And if you don't know Him as Father, you don't know Him. But you can! Through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And you can be called the children of God. And we can latch on to this promise. It's not just the promise that matters. It's the one that made it. And it's the character and nature of God that's, that's precious about this. The promise flows from a trustworthy God. The promise flows from a God who's sovereign and in control and loves us even in the middle of trial. A God who loves us no matter what. A God who loves us and is faithful even when we're faithless because He cannot and will not deny His own. A God of promise. A God of covenant. A God of salvation. A God of redemption. A God of hope. The God of eternity. The God of all grace. The, the, the great I am, I am what? Whatever you need. That's who I am. That's our God. He's the one that made the promise. And we look for a new heaven and a new earth. Yes, where I and you, if you've repented toward God and put faith in His Son, will once and forever be delivered from the very presence of sin itself. And our service to God will be perfect. And it will glorify Him perfectly. And we'll live with Him forever. When the Bible says that He'll swallow up. I got this on my office wall. I do have an office. And on the wall of the office, I got three scriptures. And this is one of them. It says He will swallow up death forever. And wipe away all tears from all faces. I love the way it says that. I've wiped away tears from my eyes. But when Paul goes to crying, you have to mess with his face because it gets all over the place. 
It's not just his eyes. It goes all over the place. It's like turning on a faucet. And all of a sudden, it just starts coming out. And the Lord says, it's not enough to say, I'm going to wipe away your tears from your eyes. I'm going to wipe away the tears from your faces. And I'm going to swallow up death forever. Promise made by my daddy. Look for a new heaven and a new earth. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, do you look forward to it? Do we pause and think about that? Do we just just pause and think about that and go, you know what, this is it. This is the fulfillment of everything that we believe about redemptive work that God accomplished through His Son. This is the fruition of it. This is the culmination. This is it. That God said, I'm going to make you fit for heaven. Heaven's a clean place. Without me, you're dirty. I'm going to make you fit. And clean you up through the blood of my Son so you can live in this clean place with me forever because you'll be clean. The Bible says, I don't know what we'll be like, but I know this. I will be like Him because I'll see Him as He is. The only way to see Him as He is is to be like Him. Because anybody who sees God dies. Just like that. You've got to be like Him to see Him as He is. And we're going to be seeing as He is. And He will be our God. And we will be His people. And we'll be right in, the, in His presence. He said, look, the coming, the promise of the, the coming of the Lord, that means when He says the promise and that we look for it, according to His promise, we look for a place where righteousness is at home because it's characterized by righteousness. It defines it. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found with Him in peace without spot and blameless. Diligent to be found with Him in peace. You know what that means? If He call, he says, okay, look at it now. Looking forward to these things, look what He says. What does He call the audience? Beloved. What does that mean? Relationship, doesn't it? It means we're saved. We have a relationship. Beloved. He's talking to saved people here. Beloved. He says, be diligent to be found by Him in peace without spot or blameless. You know that word, what that means? Beloved is relationship. And to be found in peace is fellowship. That's it. What he's saying is, is when he comes, don't you and I want to be in relationship and fellowship? We've, we've gone over all of these lives in First and Second Peter, and it boils down to that. Relationship and fellowship. And he's saying, beloved, relationship, don't you want to be? Be diligent to be found with him in peace. To be saved is to have peace with God. Relationship. To be in fellowship with God is to have the peace of God. There are plenty of believers who have peace with God, but they're not, they don't have the peace of God. But when you're in relationship and fellowship, you don't only have peace with God, but you have the peace of God. Praise God. A sustaining peace whereby we come to the place where we don't just sing that Christ is enough, but we actually believe it. He's sufficient. He's all I need. I am rich in Him with that which truly enriches. What is my portion? 
He is. He is my portion. That's what God said to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 when He saved him. I am your portion and your exceedingly great reward. Reward for what? I am rewarding you for the acts of my son. So my son's going to accomplish all this and I'm going to reward you for what he did. Hallelujah. He is my portion and my exceedingly great reward. I'm not his portion. He's my portion. Hallelujah. And we can be. It says, look, look at look at uh, look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 13. Just quickly look at that if you will. Chapter 2 verse 13. What does it say there? About the false teachers. I'm sorry, 2 Peter. Did I say 1 Peter? Sorry. It's contrast. He said, okay, if He's coming and we have the hope of dwelling with Him, make sure that you don't have stains. You're without blemish, without spot and blameless. Look at the contrast of the false teachers. Rather than without spot and blameless, what characterizes them? They'll receive the wages of unrighteousness and those who count it pleasure to crowds in the daytime and they are spots and blemishes. So the false teacher is a spot and a blemish and the man who's in relationship and fellowship is without spot and blameless. Now, without spot means this. You know what, the, you know what that without spot means? Have you ever heard that character is what you are when nobody's watching have you ever heard that saying? There's a lot of truth in that. And the Bible says that through persevering in difficult times, in Romans chapter 5, that produces pr- proven character. It means tested, tried character. It means character that's been through the meal. It's, 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 been, it's put shoe leather to it. And, and, and it produces character. So without spot is about what you're like on the inside. And blameless is about what you're like on the outside. What it's saying is, is that the inward character should be godly and your outward reputation should be blameless. I can't be perfect, but I can be blameless. And I can be falsely accused, and I am a lot. So are you. But what he's saying is this. Let your character on the inside be without spot and let your reputation on the outside be blameless. That's what he means by that. That is what the hope of God's imminent return of His Son does for the believer. On the inside, I've already been made clean, but I've been made clean to live clean. I am already holy, but I've been made holy to live holy. Put on the righteousness of Christ. And look what he says. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. The Bible says that God's... Romans chapter 2, verse 4, it says His kindness leads us to repentance. You know what that means? It doesn't mean that God's kind 
And therefore, we're impressed with His kindness, even though He is, and that leads us to repentance. What it means is long-suffering. It means that God stretches out every opportunity to give someone an opportunity to repent and put faith in His Son. That's what it means. That God's patience is better said. His long-suffering leads us to repentance. And He's reminding us that here. We had Paul reminding us of it. Now we've got the Apostle to the Gentiles saying it. Now we've got the Apostle to the Jew, Peter, saying it. That it's His long-suffering that is salvation. It doesn't mean that long-suffering brings salvation. It means that long-suffering is God's patient endurance and putting up with you and I to give us an opportunity to repent and put faith in His Son. That's what it means. That's the kind of God we serve. We don't serve a God who delights in heaven and just knocking everybody out at a moment's notice. We serve a compassionate God who is a just God, but praise His name, He is a Savior. And He's reminding us that while we're here, just remember that your anticipation of future glory should manifest itself in holy living and the proclamation of the gospel. Because while everybody's still here, they've got an opportunity to repent. Isn't that wonderful? They've got an opportunity to repent. As always, our brother, our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as is all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, of which some things are hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do the rest of the Scriptures. We could spend a lot of time here and we might just have to continue this later because we're going to give the Lord's Supper. But by the time that Peter wrote this, Paul was in heaven. He had written all of his epistles. Most of the New Testament that we know of came through the hand of the Apostle Paul by the Holy Spirit. And Peter affirms that that belongs in the Bible. And he affirms that the black letters are just as inspired as the red ones are. There's no difference. And what he's saying, the sense of what he seems to be saying is, Paul had a lot to say about end times. It's difficult to interpret his end time teaching, but not impossible. But the false teacher twists it and makes Christian faith about everything but the Gospel. About everything but Christ. People who teach false have hobby doctrines. Be careful about listening to somebody who has a hobby doctrine that they ride all the time. Most of the time when somebody has a hobby doctrine that they ride all the time, it's to cover up their failure of living that doctrine out. It's to emphasize something that's not real to them so that they can silence their conscience about their failures. I've got to teach the whole council of the Word of God. Every bit of it. And teach the Gospel. And so they twist end time Scriptures and twist end time understanding of what Paul wrote in his epistles in particular to do some nasty things. And we'll talk about those later. But just to introduce it, maybe to say, okay, we're going to be here. He's not coming back. We're going to take over as Christians and we'll just take over the earth. So we need to just take over everything. Or the other extreme would be, let's go hide out in the woods somewhere, find a cave somewhere, and just, and just keep it to ourselves and sequester ourselves and just, and just hide out. Like that. You know, and you know how, the, how the Grinch, you know how he did his teeth that time? You know how he, like that. 
and, 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 and just, just chatter, our, our chatter and be scared to death and just hold out until the end. And we'll just get out in the woods somewhere and eat pine bark. And, and we'll just, just get out of the way. Both of those are anti-biblical extremes and people twist it. Can I say in the circles that we travel in, I want you to listen to this carefully. Listen to this carefully. The family does not, the church does not exist for the family. The family exists for the church. The church does not exist for the family. The family exists for the church. Let me tell you this. I'm going to tell you this right now. It's a sad thought because I love you, Jill, and I'm so grateful I'm married to you. I'm so grateful I wasn't stupid enough to get ahead of God and did wait 34 years for who God sent me. And it's a hard thought for me to think this. But I won't think this in heaven. But we're not going to be married forever. You know why? Because the example that's needed to show my relationship with my wife as a picture of the bride in Christ is no longer going to be needed when we're with our husband. My marriage, God willing, will last until I die. But it won't last to eternity. People are twisting the Word of God. Do you hear me? They're twisting the Word of God. You better be careful who you listen to. You better be careful who you pay attention to. And drive home doctrines. They're nothing but a cover-up. And it's a, anti, it's a non-biblical extreme. The church is about Christ and His gospel. Because the only thing that will get us into eternity is Christ and His gospel. That's it. That doesn't downplay marriage. It doesn't downplay human relationships. It is, those are best served when they're, when they're focused on the gospel. Those are best served by making the gospel front and center. Because they become a beautiful expression in human relationships of eternal realities. And that's what matters. When the false teacher would have us willfully forget and they'd throw out a bone every now and then and say, yeah, he's coming back. Maybe. No. The message of the church of God is coming back. Definitely. And it could be today. That's front and center to what we celebrate in the Lord's Supper. Isn't it? What does he say? Brian's going to come up here and read from the Scriptures. And we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And what does he say? Remember my death how long? Till he, until He comes. Say that. Now let's say it together. Remember my death until I come. Remember my death till I come. That encompasses the resurrection. It encompasses the ascension. And it encompasses His second coming, all rolled into one. And that's what we're going to do when we have the Lord's Supper in just a minute. We're going to remember His death until He comes. Amen? Let's do that, dear ones. Let's, get our, let's recalibrate our thinking. It has been said before, and this is not true. It has been said before, and we've, we've said this from this pulpit, that some people are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. That is a lie. Because you are no earthly good until you're heavenly minded. We need to recalibrate and reorient our thinking. Phil, you know, the Holy Spirit was on you when you were praying. I knew God told me to ask you to pray. I knew it. I knew it like my name. These things that we're living for do not matter. 
But Christ and His gospel and the church of the living God and the risen Savior do. And maybe we can sit at God's table and ask Him right now as He goes and examines our hearts, God, am I living for that which is eternal? Am I? As Tammy would put it, am I living and praying and sharing as if the Bible were true? That's a great question. That convicts me. I can tell you that right now. Brian, come. Men, will you come? And we're going to have the Lord's Supper.